Aalto University Podcast. In the Adventures in Entrepreneurship Law podcast series, Petra Hietanen-Kunwald and Kalle Airo from Aalto University explore business law from an entrepreneurial point of view with expert guests. In some episodes, their co-host is Moritz Scherleitner. The podcast content is meant for education and is not intended to constitute legal advice. How to build your company. Our guest is Tina Ziliakus, entrepreneur and startup board professional. Entrepreneurship Law with Petra and Kalle. The best way to predict the future is to build it. Companies are a key tool in any entrepreneur's toolkit in shaping the future. In this episode, we will talk with entrepreneur and startup board professional Tina Ziliakus about how to build your company. Welcome back. Now we'll continue discussion with Tina Ziliakus and concentrate on how entrepreneurs can use business law as a tool to reach their goals. So talking about shareholders and shareholders agreements, what should the founders agree between themselves in the beginning? Well, uh, normally the shareholders agreement is such that everyone has the same rules. And uh, that's how I see it. So these are the rules according to which we we play together and, and we then also may depart separately or together. That's the way that I like to see it. And then that discussion, when you kind of start to discuss shareholders' agreement with founders before there are any investors in that discussion, uh, it's important because it, it raises the question of how committed are you and how many years? Um, uh, what kind of interests you have in it sort of, what's, for example, your exit period uh, in terms of when are you looking uh, for a certain kind of payoff? And, and all those things are sort of inbuilt into the background hypothesis based on which then the actual agreement and, and its conditions are, are formed. And when the investors join, if, if it's that kind of company that is raising funding, then obviously they have their own conditions that will be added. Yeah. And, um, and personally, I have a little bit of a problem of you know giving privileges to people who are not builders. So I, I kind of, my negotiation sort of starting point is that shareholders agreement is very equal in its nature, even with investors. So, uh, and that's, that's obviously, you know, not possible with VC funds, but you know, with then family office and other types of funding, you can actually create a very egalitarian shareholders agreement with same privileges and same responsibilities. So you you were talking about this uh, kind of life cycle for individuals that used to take five years. So what if there would be a, a builder who builds a lot of value in two years, another builder who uh, builds a lot of value in 10 years? How would you then approach the shareholders agreement? What is then fair and kind of equal treatment? Well, that would actually then materialize in a two years milestone, wouldn't it? So. Uh, there, there would be a one person raising their hand and saying, hey, look, I built more than you others at two years milestone. And, and that, that is a really kind of difficult question to solve before you've seen. Mm. And that's why, that's why I think it's important to work together 
before actually getting into the shareholders agreement and that type of the whole business law and legal setup. Because when you work together, you can assume, for example, the contributions of different founders and take that into account in the stakes, you know, who owns and what. Mm -hmm. So the amount of years or the amount of sort of what you bring to the table is also can be also reflected in the ownership structure. So if I understand you correctly, it's very important that, that the founders reflect very much about their lives, about the interests, about the want they want to have, and the, the shareholders agreement is more or less an instrument to implement these interests of, of, of the founders and of course other, other, other scenarios. But still that the, the most important is that it's not, uh, people often like to think it's only a, a legal document, but it's not so much a legal document, it's, it's, it's a document to really agree on what kind of interest you have. And before that, you should really be really aware of what you want to do in your life and with this company and, and what yes. the ro role of the company is in your life. So we, we come back to this uh, question. And then, um, so, so you really have to think about what you want to do in, in, in with the company and in your life. Yes, that's, and that's it's very, e you know, it's much easier to enter this discussion and negotiation mm -hmm. with other founders and, and players if you are sort of, clear in your mind uh, of you know what's the value you bring and what's the work you're going to do and what kind of objectives you have and then it's easier to agree yes but that's a good point because that's, that shows that the shareholders agreement is not only a legal document but it's also a document where you can steer manage interests and so on and, mm. and, and, and it's important in that way as well yeah, agreement is not an agreement if there is no pain inbuilt. That's what <laughs> I learned already 20 years ago. So what's the pain? <laughs> the pain is the work you do yeah. in, in this particular shareholders agreement case. There is a huge amount of work in, for example, five-year time commitment of your life. Five years of your life. Mm -hmm. That's what is at stake. How much do you go then into detail, for instance, what, what the commitment is? How, is there a, like how, how many hours they have to commit to the companies or non-competition or what kind of, of And that, that's the difficult there. part because that's never in that in kind of shareholders agreement, those kind of details. That's mm -hmm. why it's, it's important as, as kind of um, um, as a founder's team to find out these premises before you kind of write them down into agreement that you sort of are able to estimate that if you know Kalle and Petra and Tina are now establishing a company and and if we have not worked together you are not able to estimate what's kind of my value mm -hmm. what I'm bringing and it's very difficult for you to agree with me or then you are full of suspicion and then it becomes a very difficult negotiation and then, you know, customers are waiting out there and they are not getting anything when we are kind of stuck in our individual negotiation and ego talk of, you know, what will I get? And, you know, you see my point, maybe that's not the point to become an entrepreneur, to have that kind of discussion, but to exactly. do something else. Exactly. So uh, what benefits are there for an entrepreneur to actually know about business law? So many benefits because, you know, especially in my work, for example, so ev everything, you know, when you put something out there, there are kind of so many digital 
uh, touch points, uh, GDPR, you know, like it all starts even, even from there. When, you know, when I agree to buy something, I make an agreement. And, you know, uh, if there is no pain in that agreement, the other party doesn't necessarily deliver what we've agreed because then there is no pain. So there are so many things where kind of having good kind of business acumen is not enough, but also to kind of have a good paper on it so that, you know, people understand what we agreed and you can use the agreements as a way to facilitate that are we actually of the same understanding exactly. and, and, and yeah. A lot of benefits. And actually, you know, like when you are a business person, you at some point in your life when, for example, first time you become a CEO, you kind of feel in your heart that, I, oh, I wish I would also be a lawyer. That's good to hear. Yes. <laughs> yeah, because I think it's good. To, I probably so. So my background is, of course, the, the law. Uh, but I think that the, that. For, for entrepreneurs, it's, it's good to, to know that, that the law is not your enemy. It's a tool and it's an instrument with which you can grow the business and which helps you prevent problems and, and be, act proactively, structure, mm. manage and so on. Mm. So, and while I said that, I, I, I would like to add that um, also I, however, believe that, you know, sometimes people go behind agreements yeah. and they then that's a problem because people solve problems and you know you need to be a kind of person that goes to the people and tries to solve the problems and you're not referring to agreements because exactly so uh you need both of these kind of views and hats as an entrepreneur relating to law yeah. i still have a question regarding the, the agreements and the law we talk today is uh, in, in 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 the law in the legal field also very much about trust building through agreements mm. that you have uh, tried to, to build trust with kind of, of, of forcing them to talk uh, to, uh, in the agreement or, or other ways of, of, of building trust. What kind of experience, because very often cooperation is built on trust and mm. you cannot agree on everything. So you need to a certain extent uh, trust uh, the other one, as you said before, but, um, but how, couldn't you, can you build trust? What's your view on that? Can you build trust into the agreement? Mm. For example, I think, you know, just thinking about the best agreements. So I like really, really short agreements that are easy to understand. Mm -hmm. I like legal companions and lawyers who bring me such papers. So I think it's, it's sort of also in a legal design which has enormously developed, yes. that you can send a message that I've made this really clear for you, the other party, whoever you might be. And, and in that way, I think there can be trust within the agreement. But inherently, you know, business is such that you, you know, people change their roles and contractual agreements are between entities. And I see it in a way that trust is in people and I like trust in relationships, but you know, what if my contractor, the personnel changes or this and that. So then that's why it's important that we have certain frameworks when new people are joining and people are leaving and that's normal and that's how world works. So that's why you need agreements. So, you, so build trust in a structure and build trust in, in yes. that it's, you can anticipate what happens if, even if somebody leaves. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's the way in, in my world yeah. why it's important. Yeah. 
Yeah, so can you share some story or stories when an entrepreneur has used law as a tool really well? I had a wonderful uh, chairman of the board in, in, in my own games company, but he was also a, a lawyer and a business graduate, so he had degrees in both. I think he used law in a very beautiful way that all the agreements were really simple and they were really clear. And then I loved the fact that, for example, in, in investor negotiations, I could be together with this person because they knew that I would have unlimited legal help. <laughs> <laughs> and it was such an asset that I didn't realize before I had that asset on my side. So I don't know if I answered the question, yeah. but that's what comes to mind. Okay, so can you uh, then share a story about somebody really not using law well or screwing up with legal things? Yes, so this is very normal in, in, in let's say, so I meet a lot of startups and the entrepreneurs who are, uh, you know, they have a big, you know, sort of background from something. Let's say they are doctors or um, they are psychologists or they are like some really deep tech um, researchers. And then, you know, you look at the way they have started the company and done the stuff and then you're like half of this is illegal when you look at the paperwork <laughs> so maybe that's just you know the inexperienced way of you know when you look at the board minutes and and you know the sort of um, annual general meetings and then you're like okay these these are just you know hopefully no one sees that these ever <laughs> so sometimes you get these moments that when you understand what should be there and then you look at and you're like, okay, uh, we need definitely courses like business law to teach people that, for example, AGM and board minutes and stuff like that, it's a documentation that you need to have in Finland that somebody might read. <laughs> Especially when you want to sell the company or... Yeah. Yes, or new people are joining or and they are looking are at your audit trail and they are like thinking, you know, who are the, you know, what, what's in here? What has this company done? What's the best way to read what they have decided? And, you know, if they have decided all the decisions against sort of what's common, then <laughs> not very good. How should an entrepreneur then organize the governance or organize the company internally? Okay, in the beginning it's a very, I hate the governance and I've been an entrepreneur myself when I started that, you know, the, the first thing that comes to your mind, even with, you know, my kind of business background, having sort of common knowledge of how things are working, it is that, okay, the stock listed companies and my, you know, little, uh, you know, five person company have same rules. That doesn't make any sense to me. So personally, personally, I really think that should be somehow different of an easier lot of these things that are in the law that it, it really is ridiculous that you know 1000 persons and, and five persons are governed in the same way so that's just you know one thing that i think every entrepreneur will think at some point in their kind of lives that okay it doesn't make any sense and and how should you then organize well you you can just complain about it and then do the work. But maybe the, 
well, Google is a good tool, but you know, it's also important that you know ask friends, you know, what's the kind of the path of least resistance, and then, as said, lawyers are also good friends to have. So, what kind of conflicts uh, arise in founding teams and between the founders and investors? Mm-hmm. So, um, well, normal conflicts. Um, come from the fact that, you know, people see that you have not contributed as much as I have. And um, and uh, obviously on other other stuff as well, you know, for example, the um, di- differences in incentives and stuff like that. But um, conflicts get really bad when people are bad at talking to one another. So my kind of take on this is that, you know, especially here in Finland, have the guts to say if there is something that is bothering you early on. So if you feel that someone is not contributing or, you know, you need to do too much compared to kind of what has been agreed, uh, raise your hand and open your mouth. Because the later you do it, the you know worse the problem. So that's kind of a, the basic thing is that many conflicts Uh, could be prevented if just you know people would talk more mm-hmm. and be sort of courageous in in voicing out that hey I feel that compared to what we agreed this didn't go that way that you know you said and so what's the problem in actually voicing out that type of concern so uh, learning to be kind of open and have even this kind of um discussions that you know might feel difficult for you uh, is really really key in order to kind of prevent conflicts getting out of hand and uh, I've uh, seen many companies no okay many but you know two or three where um, founder conflicts have resulted into a situation that someone needs to leave the company and then you know that there is no other way anymore but someone just to leave And, and then that's a very, very unfortunate and difficult situation for the business and for the company. So therefore, I, I, I might say that uh, half of those things could be prevented by, you know, nurturing good relationships as well as talking more. And how do you resolve these conflicts if you have tried to discuss, but still that doesn't work? Uh, discussing between the founders. What's your advice for these kind of founding teams? Next step is always to ask outside help. If that doesn't work, then make decisions quickly and it's best to actually, you know, sort sort out who leaves and who stays. Then, you know, because if if you know no if you kind of keep that situation too long, then it starts to kind of rotten the company internally. And that's kind of the worst scenario. What's the key takeaway for founders and young entrepreneurs? Would you would you advise them? Mm. I I would say that um, your kind of internal skills as an entrepreneur are really important. That nurture also those skills, and one of those skills is recognition of how you feel in different situations, and especially if you start to feel lonely. Uh, That's that's not a good sign. So then you know, ask friends for lunch who can help you with entrepreneurial problems. Uh, connect with communities uh, because when you get lonely, uh, other other problems and other issues start to mount. So that's a very warning sign. So my key is that reach out 
uh, if you know you get those moments, and, and then most likely it will work out better for you than without reaching out. Thank you, Tina. This was a very interesting interview, and it was lovely to have you here. Thank you. Thank you.